Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. It's happened to me, and I'm pretty sure it's happened to you. You're sitting around the dinner table, and a family member makes a comment about politics that you find baffling. Maybe it angers you or you feel personally attacked. At times, it might feel like there's very little to agree on when it comes to just about everything these days, even with the most important people in your life. You're certainly not alone. According to a poll this fall from the Pew Research Center, 84% of adults surveyed said political debate has become less respectful over the last few years. My guests today think a lot about this. They think about it a lot and they want to change it. And they have a new project that they're very eager to tell all of you all about. Just in time for what promises to be another contentious election year, NPR News is launching Talking Sense. That's S-E-N-S-E, Talking Sense, an online and in-person platform to help people have hard conversations better. It's a partnership between NPR News and Braver Angels that is trying to teach Minnesotans how to think through these challenging conversations in advance without letting the need to win and change minds stand in the way of preserving important relationships. And hopefully it will lay the groundwork for additional conversations and connections in the future. As we talk about this new project this morning, I want to hear from you. You can call us. What are your tips for navigating hard political conversations? Are you in a relationship divided? over the current political climate? And how do you handle that? Has political polarization affected an issue playing out in your community? The phone lines are open and here are the phone numbers. You can call us at 651-227-6000. That's 651-227-6000 or call 800-242-2828. Let's bring in our guests. Catherine Richard is here. Catherine is NPR's correspondent based in Rochester. She came up with the idea for Talking Sense after years of covering politics disinformation and the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi, Catherine. Hello, Angela. Hi. You got a big smile on your face. You were like, I have had it. We're going to fix this. (laughs) I know you're eager to talk about this. Bill Doherty is in the studio with us as well. Bill is the co-founder of Braver Angels, which seeks to restore trust, respect, and goodwill in American politics and is partnering with NPR on Talking Sense. He's also a professor of family social science at the University of Minnesota. Welcome back to the program, Bill. Good to see you. Always good to be with you, Angela. Corey Yeager is in the studio as well. Corey is a licensed marriage and family therapist and director of mental wellness for the XFL Professional Football League. He previously held a similar position with the Detroit Pistons and works with professional athletes in the NBA and NFL. He has a doctorate in family science and family social science and runs his own therapy and consulting business called Harmony Road. And Corey also sits on the board of Wondermind, which is the mental wellness arm of musician and actress Selena Gomez. Good morning, Corey. You've been busy. I have been busy. Good morning. (laughs) So good to be back with you. Hi, but this is important, which is why all of you are here this morning to talk about this. Uh, Catherine, I'll start with you. Tell us more about Talking Sense. I've I've described it, but more about where the idea came from and what people can expect. Yeah. So the idea for Talking Sense came from covering politics for nearly a decade and then covering COVID for almost three years pretty Mm -hmm. recently. And those two experiences really demonstrated to me just how successful political division has been in our lives. And we don't have a common set of facts anymore. I know that's like a really cynical take. Mm -hmm. And we don't really use information to help us have conversations. We're using it as weapons to win 
arguments. That's what I'm seeing. It's how we're moving through the world. It's how we're moving through the world right now. And mm-hmm. I and I think media has done a good job of giving people information, but we have provided no context in how to talk about it, right? How to talk about it civilly. So Talking Sense is really an effort that's meant to help people have those hard conversations about politics, not to be scared of them, but also to let go of the idea that we're going to just change everyone's mind and get them to see the world the same way that we do. And the goal is really to preserve those relationships and gain a deeper understanding of where our loved ones are coming from. And of course, we're really happy to bring in the expertise of Braver Angels on this. This is not something NPR could do on its own. And I really want to be clear here. I don't think we're going to like defeat political division or like get rid of disinformation, but it certainly contributes to it. And I think there is a lot of opportunity to reduce the impact it's happening on having Mm -hmm. on our relationships. We can take that power away. So what is it, right? Let me just walk you through the sort of the main three components. It's an app that you're going to be seeing on our website pretty soon in the next couple of weeks that's going to help you practice those conversations in advance. It's going to provide tips and prompts to have those conversations. We're also going to be partnering with Braver Angels to do a series of live events around the state throughout 2024. So coming to a town near you pretty soon. And then it's also a reporting thread that you're just going to hear throughout of all, all of our political coverage next year. I uh, I love all of it. And I know, again, this is personal for you, particularly as a reporter in Rochester. You did so much coverage uh, of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, uh, what was happening with the virus and vaccines, and, and, and that this was a big part of your life. How did that experience specifically inform the idea for Talking Sense for you? So I talked to a lot of people who would tell me that someone they really cared about died of COVID. But more often, I was talking to people who were saying, a relationship of mine has suffered or is completely over because of COVID. A sister, a brother. Sister, a brother, cousin, right. grandparent. I mean, really, and that that's devastating. That made yes. me as sad in some ways. And I think it also really changed me as a reporter. You know, I'll take the vaccine as an example. I'll say that personally, my husband is a doctor. We were anxious to get the vaccine, but I encountered a lot of people who did not plan to get one or were very hesitant to get one. And I can tell you, it is not because these folks were uninformed. They had plenty of information. They had come to their decision in a very meaningful way. And their reasons varied. Sometimes it was religion. Sometimes it was distrust of medicine. Sometimes it was tied to cultural practices or beliefs. Sometimes it was just this feeling that I know it's best for me and I don't want to be told what to do. What I didn't see was that this nuance was reflected in rhetoric online, among politicians who were talking about it in the media. And I think taking the time to understand how these folks ended up at their decision to get, not get a vaccine really helped me understand them better. And now here we are three and a half years after sort of the, the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. We know that there's still people who have not spoken to folks in three and a half years. Uh, uh, Bill uh, Braver Angels, you know, this was formed in the wake of the 2016 election. Remind us, let's go back to 2016. What was mm. what was going on at that time oh. that, that made you sit up and say, I've got to do something? Exactly what is it that Braver Angels does? Well, Braver Angels is a national and local nonprofit, and we try to bring people together across the political divide, not to change these minds or even to find agreement. So we don't try to change people's minds about issues. We try to help people change the minds around each other. Okay. And we got started after the 2016 presidential election, which I'm sure all of us remember, Um, really on a spur of the moment. A a, a colleague of mine, David Blankenhorn, lives in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, was talking to another colleague who lives in Southwest Ohio, 
uh, very different reactions to the election in New York City versus Southwest Ohio. And they decided on a phone call, spare of the moment, to get 10 Hillary Clinton voters, 10 Donald Trump voters together for 13 hours over a weekend in Southwest Ohio <laughs> in December of 2016. And they called me and I did the same thing you did. I gasped, I gasped. and laughed. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, good luck, guys. Let me bring and, some popcorn. And you're calling me because? Uh, and they said, well, we thought you could facilitate it. Okay. They, they wanted me to run it. Okay. Okay. And I thought, okay, I'll just do it. I was free. And uh, we thought it would be a one-off. It was a beautiful experience. People from a small town, and they realized they were just fighting each other. And they, how are they, they said, how are we going to raise our kids here if we're just fighting each other? Mm. It was a beautiful experience. I thought it would be a one-time experience, but they didn't want to stop. Cashed in another frequent flyer ticket, you know, flew back. We just kept going. And so we, we decided to, to try to create a movement. Okay. Um, and Braver Angels, is that where the, the, the name kind of came well, from? Because I think of you being brave in well, that it, setting. The original name was Better Angels from the Lincoln phrase, the better angels of our nature. Mm -hmm. Given our U.S. society, somebody owned the trademark for Better Angels okay. and said, we will sue you into the ground. Okay. okay. <laughs> so we changed it to Braver Angels, mm -hmm. which we actually like. I like that. Uh, Corey, uh, you and Bill have, have worked together uh, on many projects over the years. You're both family and marriage therapists. Uh, Corey, you work with athletes on their mental health. What's the connection between the techniques that you use in those conversations and spaces and, and talking about politics with people we don't agree with? Yeah, I think there, there is a, a great correlation and connection between the two. When I'm talking with athletes or really anyone, it's really about relationship, Angela. And we are continuously in relationship. So being reminded of the importance of relationship with athletes, with folks that I'm dealing with and talking with on a day-to-day -day basis, I think that reminder is something that we need more of, um, that the relationship is critical. So how do we maintain that relationship? Once we start a relationship, it's a beautiful thing, but the maintenance thereof is not so easy sometimes. Um, so in those connections, in those relational spaces, being reminded of the importance of keeping those things together with athletes, with political divide, I think it's really very similar. Because we need relationships. We need um, connection. We need love in our lives. We do. And, and, and if, if we're not reminded of the importance of that, especially when I disagree with you, right? If I disagree with you, I may not be reminded of how important that relationship that we have is, right? right? So then all of a sudden, what leads in that discussion, in that conversation, is our difference, mm -hmm. not those things that we have in common, the commonality, what drew us together in relationship from the beginning. Right. We're not reminded of that. We're just going with what is most, um, pre what previously occurred does not matter as much, but what is currently occurring is what we really guide us. And that's not what we want. Right. Let's say, hey, what's what's behind all of this? Why did we like each other? Why? What brought us together from the beginning? I have some family members. I'm going to try so hard this hour not to name them, but <laughs> <laughs> who I love to pieces. But uh, you know, in, in some settings, I have to take deep cleansing breaths, and I'm like, I know it's coming, and it's like, like they're waiting for me to walk through the door, yes. <laughs> and they want to start. But I have to remember, I'm like, nope. This is this person who has loved me since a baby. And yes. so that's what I'm going to focus on. That's right. right? I, and I think that's really important. <laughs> I think that's very simple, Angela, with the way you described it. Very simple. But I think that's critically important. Who has this person been to me? What their political view is or kind of some, some things they bring up, I do not agree with. Mm -hmm. But who have they been to me? Mm -hmm. Reminded about who they have been and what they mean to me. That can trump, pun intended, all of those other pieces. 
as we talk about a new NPR News project called Talking Sense. I want to hear from you, our listeners. What conversations are you dreading this holiday season? Our experts here in the studio may be able to help you out this morning. You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's bring in some of our listeners into the conversation. Uh, in Minneapolis, Anne is on the phone right now. Good morning, Anne. What do you want to tell us? Hi, good morning. Hi, Hi, I wanted to share that in like 2016, in my early 20s, um, I was in a place where I had like political and personal, well, I mean, the political is personal. So political differences with family members that felt very personal and hard for me, um, like make me stop some relationships with family. And I didn't speak to my brother for maybe over a year. Um, Mm -hmm. And And you didn't speak to him because you felt you were protecting yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I think that I don't like regret doing that. And also now I'm in a place where I can see those differences and still try to have a relationship um, as trying to not, as I approach with curiosity and not just like wishing people were different. Mm-hmm. then I'm able to see them as a person. And I and I don't, mm-hmm. like, want to... Like, I think it's fine when people make those decisions to take some time away from uh, people who, like, interacting with them could hurt them. Right? So what like, does that, not, that mean, Anne, that you, you ask, like, why do... Or you think about, why does he think about it that way? I think it's, like, holding someone as a human and seeing... Um, just like approaching with that, with that curiosity. And I'm mm-hmm. able to do that because I'm just like at a point in my life where I feel like probably safer. And um, ha- has this helped your mental health, like shifting the way you think about these conversations? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if you go in trying to, trying with one outcome to change people, especially people you've been in dynamics with your whole life um, in your family, you've already got other stuff going on. Um, That's a lot. That's a lot harder. Are you and your brother talking now, Anne? We are. And we're about to have um, a Christmas together. And we've been the last like year or so, well, a couple years, but especially the last year since we both have kids now, are trying to like rebuild our relationship and get to know each other as adults. Thank you for sharing that with us, Anne. I appreciate it. Uh, Bill, you're shaking your head there. What do you hear? What Anne shared? Hey, Anne, Mm -hmm. I love what you said. You're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're, uh, you're making your point here for us. And key thing that uh, I heard Anne say is uh, she, she went from opposition to curiosity. Um, And um, curiosity is a way to be in relationship and be able to talk about politics because it takes away this this drive to change somebody. Mm -hmm. Family members will go to their grave before they're changed by another family member, right? I mean, family members just don't – they don't. They don't take direct influence from each other that way. <clears throat> but you can be curious. So a, a line we use in Braver Angels is that behind every pa- passionate political belief, there's a story. There's a backstory. Why does somebody feel so strongly about this? What, what and, did they see on Facebook? 
Mm-hmm. Or what did they see on the news? Oh, or what or did they how did they grow up? The, no, no, the, I mean, I mean mm-hmm. personal stuff. I mean, like how they grew up. Mm-hmm. Core value, a fear they have. I mean, there's a story. It isn't just a, yeah, thank you for the clarification. Right. It's not just I read this somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there is, if somebody is strongly, say, against affirmative action, like it just is a big thing to them. There's something in their life experience. Something in their life experience. Something mm-hmm. they're afraid of. Okay, something that's happened. Be curious about that and don't judge them when they tell you the story. Mm. Makes you a better reporter, too. Curious. That attitude, I would <laughs> say. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Corey, so sort of, you know, hearing this story from Anne. Um, you can you can still you could hear the hurt in her voice like we yeah. didn't talk for a year and a half but and but she's like now we are we're yeah. back right that, that's that that movement that change that we all have and I and I, I'm going to repeat a bit of what Doc said and I I love that idea of curiosity and if we can lead with that curiosity that can move us in better directions I think that the thing that I'm reminded of in this discussion is that anger usually presents itself in one of two ways very cold or very fiery. My wife would tell you I'm a cold, angry person. I'm not going to raise my voice or scream or yell. If I'm angry, you're just going to kind of know I'm not really dealing with you right now. But what I submit is that we should find a version of anger that is warm. What does that mean? That means it's curious, right, that I can be upset with you, but I can hold that curiosity and say, Angela, help me understand why you do that, why you see the world that way. I'm writing I'm, a, I was going to ask you, give me exact words mm-hmm. to you. Why, why Help you me see, understand why do you see Why do you see way? the world that way? I, my experience doesn't lead me to see it that way. Um, but I know, I know that you do see it that way. Um, help me with that. And that doesn't mean you have to convince me of what your position is or I have to, you have to move me off like Doc said. It's not trying to move one person off or the other. That if I can understand a little more about the experience, about your background that lets me understand why you see it that way, then I can say, ah, I don't agree with you, but I understand now. Right. So if we can understand. Let's go have some lemon pound cake. Hey, that's Doesn't that look good? A lot of lemon pound cake for me. <laughs> that's what I'm just saying. I, I love that way of thinking. And as reporters, that's what we are trained to lean into. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. To be objective and have people explain like help me understand like mm-hmm. tell me your point of view exactly mm-hmm. yeah. exactly and what that reveals let's take another phone call from a listener uh this is uh, in minneapolis patty's on the phone good morning patty hi good morning hi go right ahead i find that hi i find that the whole paradigm of these conversations has shifted to something that is much more volatile now than it has been in the past so like For example, in the past, we might talk about school funding or, you know, smaller things. Not that it's not important to people, but there were things that really didn't affect people's lives or their uh, inalienable civil rights. And I also think that we need to find a graceful way within our moral and ethical character to say, we don't talk about hate here. This house is love. And we set our foot down in a graceful way, because I often find that it is the brave and the courageous that are always accommodating these divergent viewpoints and must accommodate and stand by. And um, I just think there's so much at stake, and I'm not looking for a fight, but we also need to not be reporters. We, we are shaping, our children are there, our nieces, our nephews, and sometimes it is just really necessary to say, we're love here, we're, we're equality here, and everybody is important. And I wish that people could find a graceful, not, they're not trying to be non-competitive or non-political, 
there, there are things that I think as moral people we need just to say we stand for love. I'm sorry you're uncomfortable with that, but we're not going to talk about that today. Oh, thank you. That's Patty in Minneapolis. Um, Patty uh, makes me think of sort of like the the, the some situations that I, I have been in and I've seen. Sometimes it just feels like someone really is, you know, trying to be mean, like they're, they're not really listening in any way and that they sort of enjoy kind of having um, a, a conversation that's very agitated. And, you know, if some of the, I, I think, examples I can think of where, you know, that the people just fundamentally disagree on something, but it's a very emotional issue. And then um, like the, the conflict that comes from that. So what advice do you have for people when you're in that situation, when it just seems like the person you're talking to is just trying to be cruel? Like, why would you use that word? You have to know that that's cruel to say that. I'm going to hand it to Doc. Any advice? Let, let, me, let me give one thought here. Patty used a word I think is really important. Grace. So grace, it means that you have, Put me off into a corner. I'm offended in some way, but I'm going to be I'm going to move on from that. I'm not going to say, well, the relationship is not worth it anymore. Grace means that I'm going to find a way to move forward as opposed to being stuck in that moment with an opposed view. Right. And I think this idea of grace is something we've got to be much better with. Um, especially with these opposing views that we move through the world with. Um, no one's needing, no one's trying to change those views on a day to day. I want to use two examples right now yeah. that I, conversations I know that are happening right now over LGBTQ issues or even the conflict we're seeing play out between Israel and, and Palestine as examples, mm-hmm. right? Like you're probably not going to shift somebody's view, but you're, you're in conversation about it, these, these different views. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> so I really appreciate uh, what, what, what Patty said. And I want to, I want to point out a, a downside of, of, of what, what Patty said when she said we, <clears throat> we stand for love here. Most people think they come from a fair, loving place. So you talk about Israeli Palestinian, talk about gay issues. <clears throat> and there's a risk if we, if I say I will only tolerate conversations that come from love, I have now judged you as not coming from love. And I've, I've, I've held my standard. I'm, I'm the one that defines I'm viewing love. you as hateful. Yes. And I stand for love. Right. And so how to, do, how to be consistently loving, <clears throat> stand for love, but treat the other person lovingly and non-judgmentally is a big challenge. So I'm, I'm glad she framed this up because it's, it's subtle, and particularly in families. People are so sensitive to being judged. So how to be, <clears throat> how to object to an idea without judging the person mm-hmm. is, is, a, is crucial to what we try to do in Braver Angels. And I also know in Braver Angels, you, you, you use um, or this language, you talk, you use blue and red language a lot in your work. What do, you, what do you mean by that as we talk about politics? Yeah, early on, we decided Republican, Democrat, you know, it, it, it's liberal, conservative. So we just decided simply to, to go with red and blue. <clears throat> red is you lean conservative, tend to vote for Republicans, more the Democrats. Blue is you lean liberal, tend to vote for Democrats, more the Republicans. And there's some people in the middle. So that's how we think about it. Where, where is your leaning conservative and liberal? And why does it make a difference in, in the word choice as you have oh, these boy. conversations? Why do, why do these oh, words boy. matter? There are red terms and blue terms, okay? So here's some blue terms. Diversity, equity, inclusion, privilege, white supremacy. Those, are, those have become blue terms. Uh, reds define them quite differently. Uh, red terms, love of country, self-sufficiency, fiscal responsibility, 
um, uh, you know, uh, reverence for life, right? Uh, family values. What's happened is we've created different languages. Now, all of those terms can be defined in reasonable ways, but what happens in this red-blue dialogue is that if I use a term that has my side has, has owned, then immediately the other person oh. may be turned off. So the divisions even in our language. Yes, so absolutely. You may be telling someone about yourself just by your word choice. Oh. Right. Do you see that as a reporter as you talk to oh, people? For sure. Or even as how you try to write? Yes. Um, it is something I think about more often than I used to, in fact, now that I've been sort of thinking about this project for almost a year. And I think that you have to be really thoughtful about how you not just not not just the words you use, but the topics you choose to cover. Right. And here at NPR, we are trying to do coverage that reflects Minnesota. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can look really different to one part of the community that we're talking to as it does to the other. And that's that is like a really big challenge, I would say. Words matter. I actually have an example of this. I have been struggling to write um, a script for a show we're doing in January yeah. about criminal justice reform. And as I'm writing it, I'm like, oh, I don't want to use that word because then then people will tune out because they think it's going to be that, oh, I can't use that term because because mm-hmm. I'm trying to like, I just want people to listen. I'm like, yeah. words yeah. matter. Yeah. Exactly. Words matter. Words matter. Uh, words maybe, matter. Just use, maybe just use the examples and then maybe that. So what do you say about so this? So when course? we say words matter, I think that we have to realize when we are creating a narrative um, or if we're seeking to change a narrative, how do you do that? How do you go about that? By the language in which we engage. How I frame it, how I move with it, that can change that narrative or, or frame it in a way that others can understand. So I think that's a critically important aspect. What happened to us? I mean, this has gotten so complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, people were living and going about the business and then not not feeling so d- d- divided. What happened to us as a culture? Do you feel it's been yeah. a huge shift? It's, we talk <laughs> about all the time in Brave Angels and when we do community conversations. Many, many factors. But you named the 70s the the polarization has been in, increasing steadily since the, the, the late seventies. So something did change, uh, and uh, and some of that is media access. Now, as, as Catherine said, we don't have the same facts. We we, we go to media mm-hmm. that that give us information that we want, and then we you know social media about fifteen years ago became what political scientists call an accelerant. Of polarization and Throwing accelerate. Gas on the fire. Right? You you can spread right. uh, vicious things so quickly now with a click. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angela, yeah, so I, that, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to um, echo what Bill says, and I mean, we see this every day in our life as journalists, right? Um, not to say that disinformation is the only thing, or I'm sorry, social media is the only thing, but it creates a platform for people mm-hmm. to have conversations that are not face-to-face too. And I can't imagine that doesn't play into it mm-hmm. as well. And also not to mention the fact that it's really easy to share things that may or may not be true. It's becoming so much harder to distinguish what is real and what is not real on the internet right now. And that is a huge challenge, not just for journalists, and we're probably better equipped to identify it, mm-hmm. but think of people who are just you know casually perusing social media. It's very easy to absorb information that um, – you know, passively, I think. Let me enter a word into this conversation I think is important. And the word is zeitgeist. So we talk about the 70s, the 80s, 90s, and even and now today. Zeitgeist is really the feeling. What is the world experiencing? So it is not just this country that is experiencing mm-hmm. this movement of political change. It's shifted, right? So now the entire world is moving in a different way. Um, so we have to, I think, recognize that this shift has occurred and then the question that remains is, all right, so the shift has occurred. How will we respond? 
And to this point, we probably haven't done a great job of responding as a country. But that doesn't mean we can't change that moving forward. Right. So this talking sense idea and what the braver angels are up to, this is a move to try to shift back into. All right. Things have different. Things are different. How will we respond in a positive way as a country? And I think that's the question in front of us that we can do something about. Now, before we take more phone calls, Catherine, you've been interviewing Minnesotans about this topic over the past week. And you spoke with um, someone named Al- Alvaro Alvaro Alvaro. Alvaro, excuse me, Alvaro Jimenez, Alvaro Jimenez, who lives in Invergrove Heights. And he said that he sees that part of the problem is that there are just fewer places for people to connect in person. And let's take a moment to listen to more of what he had to say. We don't know what our neighbors have. Well, we go to work and then we go home. And if we're lucky, we, can, we maybe can go out to eat or to a bar or, or the movies. The sense of community is so diluted now. And, and, and the goal is never to, to try to convert the other person, right? It's really just to exchange ideas, but that's just, when do we do that? When's the timing for that? Great point. When? He's, he's right, right? I, I go from work to my car to the garage. I mean, well, from my house to, <laughs> to the car to work, from work to home. I mean, for many of us, we, we have like limited opportunities to interact with other people. So is that part of what is contributing to this difficulty to having conversations? Bill? Yeah, this is what the political scientists point to, the, the decline in community connections, um, the decline in just social time. People are not socializing as much with each other. Um, it, it, life is, is a lot busier. And then we get into our silos. So a, a real community is connected with people who are different from us, not, not just those who are just completely like us. And so we, uh, the decline in the PTAs and the, uh, the Rotary Clubs and all of the League of Women Voters, I mean, organizations that people flocked to before, mm-hmm. those membership organizations have declined. And those are places that we interacted with, with other people. It's sometimes called these sort of these third spaces, right? Where right. people go, maybe right. it's the gym or it's to a right. class where you have a gathering of all kinds of people, but right. it's where you kind of go to sort of re- restore your peace or, right? Yeah, so if you're the recording secretary for your local, you know, a bowling league and, and, <laughs> oh, and this other fun. person is the treasurer. The recording secretary for the bowling league. <laughs> there we go. Is that no, a thing? No, no, exactly. <laughs> is that a thing? Because right? you have all this you know, <laughs> stuff you have to do. Right. And then your okay. colleague here is the treasurer, you know, for the $200 budget. We didn't choose each other as friends, but we are connecting to each other. And then maybe we find out we differ mm. a little in politics, but I know Corey, you know, I'm looking at him now. So, you know, we're doing stuff together here. Uh, we're part of a community. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, again, I'm going to enter a word into the lexicon. So intentionality, right? So there's opportunities for us to connect. We can't get that twisted. They're there. But oftentimes, my wife and I talk about this. We have invitations to do this or that or the other, and then we'll look at each other and say, do we want to, do you feel like going? I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like going either. So then all of a sudden, we don't go. And that. So that we remove the intentionality from the opportunity to be in relationship, right? We just remove it. So if we really are seeking relationship, there are opportunities for us if we choose. So how intentional about that engagement are we is a question that we really have to ask ourselves. How intentional are we? So you mean we have to get up off the couch we have and leave to, the house? Yes, I think so. See, I was with you up until now. Yeah, like, I don't know. But see, I think, that, I think that the pandemic did something mm-hmm. to us. That it isolated us, yes. right? And for, yeah. in that isolation, all of a sudden, a, a new pattern emerged of 
Well, we don't really engage as much with others. Mm-hmm. And I now, like my own company. That's right. I like getting to uh, choose, me, you know. Yes, me and you both. What I what I watch, what I read. Yes, and I don't have to share that with anyone. I don't have to engage with others, right? And I, so I think that this this isolation the pandemic created is something that we're still recovering from. I don't know what the research has told us, but I think that the research will catch up in 10 years to tell us how that pandemic has really affected all of us as a society. We don't really know how to talk to each other about anything, right? In some cases, (laughs) Catherine, have you seen a change in just how people behave or just talk in in general as as we move about and interact? Yeah, I do. I think um, the thing that I see that really strikes me um, is particularly among younger people. um, And, you know, you have kids in college, too, so I'd love to Mm -hmm. take on this. But, you know, my kids are really young. But I do feel like there is um, sort of this empowerment right now especially among younger people, and I see it a lot on social media, to sever ties with people the moment that you see that you are different from them. You don't have time for this. It's toxic. And I get it. Like, these are hard things. These are really, really hard things. And it does feel really personal when someone is questioning everything that makes you you, right? Um, but I I wonder how my kids, when they are a bit older, are going to function. Are they going to be able to sit down with me or even my husband and talk to us about stuff that might make us feel really uncomfortable? Or are they going to be like, wow, they are so like mm. on another playing field. We simply can't talk to them about this. I'm I'm like going to come homeless and I don't want to interact with mom and dad. Mm-hmm. So I see, I see that a lot. It's really uh, startling, I think. And I'm not that old, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about uh, a new NPR news project called Talking Sense. And I, I want to hear from you. What conversations are you dreading this holiday season? Uh, how are you handling it? Do you have questions for our, our experts in the studio uh, to, to get some advice? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's take a phone call from a listener. This is Howie on the phone. Good morning, Howie. Howie is there uh, at White Earth Reservation. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Um, I, I, I totally and heartily support what Bill Doherty's been doing for years and Braver Angels and Talking Sense. And I'm a retired clergy person, and I've watched across the country hearing conservative pastors quoting Jesus on Turn the Other Cheek and having the parishioners come up and say, why are you using liberal talking points? And he said, well, it's the words of Jesus. And the response, I got this uh, in Christian Century, was reporting this. And they said, that's weak. That doesn't cut it anymore. And so I think we've kind of reached a point where people... You're having some hard hard conversations out there. Those are some hard conversations. And pastors who are conservative, I'm not, I'm an Episcopalian, but being losing their positions because they preach what's in Scripture. So here's the thing. As a student of Bonhoeffer, uh, there are times, and I, I, I put more of the blame for this on the media than I do on individuals, that covering uh, the sort of the stuff we know are lies, uh, documented lies, court determined them to be lies, as equal to as journalism often has, the truth, I think the time has come for people to continue to break through those barriers, but I think we also have to stand for truth, because the truth does set us free. So that sets up a situation 
where some of the hard conversations have to be really hard, not not on a personal level, not at the at the bowling league. I think of Putnam's bowling alone, a very early one saying, oh, boy, we're in trouble. Our civic uh, capital is decreasing. But the two pieces, one, what we do on an individual level, and then maybe what the media does about politics covering it, um, is it might be one of the keys where the media can stand for democracy against fascism, uh, for that civility against ang- that rage that we hear from uh, politicians. So hmm. I think both individuals and um, and the media have a huge, huge role in trying to break through this divide that has. Thank you, Howie. I think it's crippling us. Howie, a uh, retired uh, member of the clergy, and uh, I'm taking lots of deep cleansing breaths, but it is it's hard to hear me. So many people have stories of what they have, conversations they have been part of and, and examples of, of, again, the, the language, the use of words and, yeah. and, and questioning. Um, um, I don't know if this is in a curious way, but it sounds more, you know, in a almost in an attacking way. Like, why would you point to this as to why mm-hmm. you have this opinion? Yeah, so um, there, there a lot. How uh, we just said a lot, and I'll pick up on one part of a part of the challenge. And, and going back to what Corey said about accepting the world we're in now, and then how do we adjust to it? How do how do we change? And one of the things I've learned in my seven years with Braver Angels is the value of going deeper. Why are people going back to his original story who are immersed in in Christian teaching saying there's too much weakness? Uh, it isn't just because they're ignorant or self-serving. There's a story behind it. There's often fear behind it. There is, there is there, um, the same thing with trustworthy elections. Brave Angels has been doing a big project on trustworthy elections. The starting point has to be an understand of trying to trying to understand how people of goodwill come to some strong beliefs that I find really problematic. Mm-hmm. What's the backstory? Uh, how did they come there and then start from there as opposed to my starting from a sense of superiority to them? I have the facts and you don't. Going deeper. That's what I've learned in my seven years with Brave Angels. Mm. And Corey, so even members of the clergy, retired members of the clergy, going through it right now, trying yeah, to figure right. out how to have conversations that are, are respectful and productive. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and that's heavy. And, and Howie brought up so many important points. And I think Doc has is, is really kind of summarized it in a, in a beautiful way. Let me pull us into the shallow water um, from, from those deeper waters. And I heard Catherine say something earlier about finding ways in which to engage or not engaging when I realize that someone doesn't see the world the way I do. And I'm reminded that sports can do a lot for us, right? Even for our younger, our younger kids, that parents that may have absolutely opposing views, those kids are still playing together. That next generation is engaged and they come from a household that doesn't agree. Both of them have differing views. So how is it that we may be able to learn from those babies, right? Look at those kids. They're not arguing with each other. They hear opposing views all day, every day in their houses, but they're getting along on the court and in the, on the field. What can we learn from our babies? I think that next generation can teach us so much more than we hold today as that elder generation. Let's look at those young people and learn from them. Those young people are more prone to engage with one another 
um, and, and, and stay engaged? How can we emulate that as elders, as parents? And I think that's something we can do. Um, it's not necessarily easy, but I think it's something we can do. You've seen a lot, I mean, specializing in um, working with athletes mm-hmm. and, and their mental health and how, yeah, you do have all these people who have all different kinds of backgrounds yes. and strong views, but somehow they can leave that <laughs> yes. behind and become a team and work together so to when move we talk, forward. That's right. When we talk about red and blue, each team, every team that cats I work with, they come from the spectrum. There are people that are red supporters on the squad and right. blue supporters on the squad, but they get down and they en- engage with each other both on the court and off the court. And they know that that person's view is different than their political view. But they can protect one another and help each other. They can. They can. But but it can, we can also do that as regular folks walking down the street that are engaging in the bowling league. Right. I'm the secretary. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> You're the treasurer. You're the treasurer. I'm the secretary. I'll take the treasurer. Yeah, let me hold the money. Yeah, hey, I'll take the money. But we can learn something from that. And I think that we can also do that movement as well. Oh, yes, Catherine. You know, I did just want to point out, too, that um, there, there's some, there's a person in this room that we haven't talked about, which is the politician, right? And I don't have to look any further than my inbox every single morning to see where some of this stuff is being perpetuated. I get emails every day that use slurs, that use pejorative language to describe people, and it's coming from both sides. And I do think that there's... Um, and I, and I also see politicians, they don't um, take the time, nor is our political system set up, to really understand the nuance, to understand that backstory of as to why certain people see the world the way that they do. Because many people are following their lead. Exactly. So if they're using yeah. that language, and, and then, then it's okay for us to do that as well. Yeah, and, and I mean, happening. Bill, you guys are working on something that kind of gets at this exact issue. Is this, oh, yeah. Is this Reduce the Rancor? Reduce is, the Rancor, Minnesota. What is that? Yeah. So it's a new Brave Angels initiative we're launching next year, 2024, where we're, we're, um, the goal is to lower the temperature in this election year, um, uh, and to reduce the animosity, to be able to disagree better. And, and we're, we're signing up various organizations uh, in the state um, uh, uh, from the faith communities, from political uh, uh, groups. I'm not going to announce who the political people are because we're going to have a big press conference on that. But we have uh, leaders from both political parties. We all have, like the team here, I think about sports, every, every athlete has not only loyalty to their team but to their sport, okay, that their sport survive, yeah. right? And so we're talking about our democracy, and we're talking about can our sport, if you will, our, our system, our way of life survive this? And leaders in both parties have a stake in that. And that's what we have to reach to. As uh, we approach the final minutes of the show, um, moving forward. So someone's listening. I'm all in. Uh, talking sense. Again, remind us, Catherine, how can people access this? What What is how do we bring talking sense into our lives to participate in these 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 uh, I guess, opportunities to learn how to have these conversations better. Yes. So in coming weeks, people are going to start to see three things and hear three things more often. So we are going to we are working on an app right now that people will be able to access in the next few weeks that will give you um, specific topics and tips about how to talk to people you differ from on those topics, right? Whether it's COVID or abortion or police policy, that that sort of thing. We're hoping to cover the gamut. NPR News. NPR. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's going to be at NPRnews.org. You're also going to be hearing it on reporting this week and into next week. And then uh, you're going to start hearing more about the live events that we are going to be planning with Braver Angels. But in the meantime, if you have 
a story. If you have a situation in your life or your community where something is dividing your community or you're trying to work through some of the stuff, we really want to hear from you. And you can just email us at talk at nprnews.org. All right. And um, the live events in 2024. Yeah. And lots of toolkits, too, like FAQs. How do I start a conversation? How do I figure out what's real and what isn't on the Internet? You're going to be seeing a lot of tools that people can use in their daily lives. I love a FAQ. Oh, yeah. So does our audience. And uh, Corey, (laughs) as we uh, begin to to move uh, about our family members in community, as we get off the couch over the next (laughs) couple of weeks, just some some parting words of wisdom, some advice. Yeah, I think it's just to be reminded of the importance of relationship. Right. That this is really kind of the foundation of who we all are, that being in relationship with one another um, is so deeply important. I think the holidays remind us of that importance. Um, So if we can put some of our difference to the side and engage with one another and be reminded of how much more commonality we have. I think that only makes us better as a community, as neighborhoods and ultimately as a broader society. So I think just reminding ourselves of those that important idea of relationship should be a guiding principle for all of us. And Bill, in, in 20 seconds, any oh, words of encouragement? Corey just named it. <laughs> it's the, in the beginning is the relationship and to not let politics hurt our families. Mm. All right. Our guest today, we've been talking with Corey Yeager, a licensed licensed marriage and family therapist, and uh, also someone who has a doctorate in family social science who runs his own therapy and consulting business called Harmony Road. Also talking to Bill Doherty, co-founder of Braver Angels, which seeks to restore trust, respect, and goodwill in American politics, partnering with NPR on Talking Sense, also a professor of family social science at the University of Minnesota, and Catherine Richard. NPR's correspondent based in Rochester, and she came up with the idea for Talking Sense after years of covering politics, disinformation, and the COVID-19 pandemic. Looking forward to seeing more of us uh, exploring Talking Sense. Thank you for your time today. This conversation was produced by Catherine Richard and Gretchen Brown. Be safe, everyone, and be nice to each other. We'll talk again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.